Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School podcast. This is episode 256 and I am dishing up a guest for you today. My guest today is a mama of three little humans. She's a cookbook writer and author and an accredited practicing dietitian down under in the motherland. Prue and I first met during our master's in dietetics over a decade ago. I think that was in 2012. Yeah, 2012. And she's worked as an accredited practicing dietitian in Australia for the past 11 years. In 2017, she founded What's Prue Cooking, which is also the name of her cookbook. And a couple of months ago, I saw that Prue was launching a new program, a new 12-week program called Family Nutrition Transformation Program. And I knew that I had to get her on the podcast to talk about her work in this space, the program. Family nutrition or nurturing our children's relationship with food is a really big passion of mine. Having been raised in a family environment that didn't nurture a really positive, powerful relationship with food, my sister endured uh, anorexia nervosa for a number of years. And so I've been really passionate about this and I've had a few guests on the podcast and I've spoken about it before around how it's our role and responsibility as parents, as women, as mums to powerfully lead our children and nurture their relationship with food. And this is Prue's mission. She is really committed and focused on simplifying the world of family nutrition because it can be complicated. It can be really hard. A lot of the time we're dealing with our own beliefs and worldviews and thoughts and challenges around uh, food and our relationship to food isn't really powerful. And then we're in this role and we have this responsibility to raise these little humans and develop a powerful relationship uh, with food for them. And so she introduced this program really out of need. What she was seeing in the dietetics world is that just seeing clients or patients once every month or so wasn't enough. Families, parents, mums need more support when it comes to navigating mealtimes, managing mealtimes and feeding your family, which is not always an easy endeavor. So today on the podcast, we talk about nurturing children's relationship with food during mealtimes, how to effectively handle fussy eating, uh, Prue shares lots of tips and tricks and some frameworks to help us transform mealtimes. We talk about how we can simplify uh, mealtimes, how we can plan and prepare better for them, how we can manage you know, mealtimes and nurturing our children's relationship with food amongst our busy life and lifestyles. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I Trust me, Prue is someone you want to have at your dinner table. <laughs> you want her to support you and lead you in this space. So if you find family mealtimes, feeding your family, uh, nurturing your children's relationship with food really hard and challenging, 
and you feel like you need some support, I highly recommend that one, just check out Prue's Instagram page. She shares loads of tips and tricks uh, for families, for mums on there. Then I highly recommend that you check out her 12-week program, Family Nutrition Transformation Program. And here she really tailors it to each family and supports them to learn how to uh, manage meal times, feed their family, introduce maybe or expose their children to new foods, handle fussy eating, uh, and just incorporate more variety in family meals. Okay, enjoy this podcast episode with Prue on simplifying meal times and feeding your family. Prue, <laughs> welcome to the Warrior School podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. We're on the other side. We're on worlds away, many countries away from each other. We're on the complete opposite ends of the world. Uh, Prue is down under in the motherland and I am in the north. Prue, we've got lots that we're going to talk about today, but I always love starting the podcast with this idea that came from Steve Jobs, which was about connecting the dots. And so I want you to tell everyone listening what you do now, and then we're going to go back and connect some key dots in your story that led you to do what you're doing now. Does that sound cool with you? Yeah, awesome. Sounds great. Really good. Okay. What do you do? So I'm a dietitian. So an accredited practicing dietitian, I've been a dietitian for 11 and a half years now, and I love it. Um, and so I, I guess in my time as a dietitian, I've been working predominantly in the private practice setting for a business, a company called Peninsula Physical Health and Nutrition or PPN. And at the end of last year, so the end of 2023, I finished working there and I'm now jumping full-time into my own business, What's Brew Cooking, which has been simmering along in the background since oh, 2017, I think it was. So yeah, I'm really excited to be starting this new chapter and just seeing what, what it brings. Yeah. So Prue and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, I guess the same amount of time, well, a bit longer than you have been a dietitian. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. what, started 2010, was it, that our dietetics started? No, 2011. 2011, I think it was. Yeah. So Prue and I met in our master's in dietetics in Melbourne at Deakin. So I guess that's the first dot. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> well, we can go back further than that if you want to go into if you had, if you well, want to I, talk about. I think the bit, the bit before is probably relevant too, I guess. So I finished school and then you finish, you finish school, you put your preferences in for uni and then you get your enter and then you can then change your preferences around because they just because you can. And so I had... I think I had physio, nutrition and dietetics, and then science. So I didn't have the marks to get into physio, but I would have got into nutrition and dietetics. And I 
changed my preferences and put science first because I wasn't like, I'm like, oh, I don't know about nutrition and dietetics. Maybe I still want to do physio and science is a good path to that. And then just stayed in science, finished the science degree and then started working for a company called CSL um, in research and development on the flu vaccine. And then I, so I was there for maybe six years. And in that time, I did a master's in health science through Deakin and in human nutrition and then finished that and didn't love my job, but also was looking for jobs, but not actually applying for jobs in the nutrition space. And so then, and I was running a lot and it took a running injury for me to be like, okay, what am I doing? I've lost my passion of running. What am I actually doing with my life? And so I quit. I put in my four weeks notice. I quit and went and worked at Richmond Hill Cafe and Larder in Melbourne, Richmond in Melbourne, amazing little cafe, which I loved for a few months there because I was one of my dreams was always to have my own cafe, but quickly found that that's not what I wanted to do anymore. And then in the meantime, applied for the Masters of Dietetics and got in. And I guess that's where I met you. And so then, yeah, and then became a dietitian and got a job in dietetics. And so, and I remember when I, told mum I was applying for the Masters of Dietetics. She's like, why didn't you just do nutrition and dietetics straight out of school? I'm like, well, I probably would have got like 10 years down the track and decided it wasn't for me and had a career change. And I feel like the way I've done it is better because the role of a dietitian is so flexible and so much more flexible than so many other careers, which has been really great for me and having kids because I've been able to work in and around them and it's worked really nicely for me yeah can you go a little bit into your world like what does your world look like talk like how many little humans do you have yeah yeah so I have three kids so Mark is 10 Claire is eight and Elise is nearly six so we're busy Elise started school so it's out of 2023. So she's finished prep this year. And so, and so I think last year was that, that was my year to be like, okay, figure out what you want to do. It was actually my year to take some time for myself, but I jumped into everything and made myself really busy and just completely overloaded. And then, so I feel like this year coming is going to be my year for myself because I found what I want to do. And so we'll now have the time to actually factor in some time for myself, hopefully. But yeah, yeah. so we're, we're busy. Kids do they, they do their extracurricular activities and just life is busy with kids. Yeah, right now they're on a boat, Prue said. <laughs> they're on a boat. They're out on a boat enjoying the the beach and loving life. So yeah. So what I wanted to get you on to talk about today was this idea of simplifying mealtimes and feeding your family stress-free. And there's like there's a lot in in that that I want to talk about, but I saw your uh, new program that you had launched, your new offer, and I guess that that's kind of a cool place to start. But then I do want to go back and talk a little bit about the work that you've done over the last decade or so, and kind of what led you to um, your like creating your cookbook and then creating this course and this program for families and what you saw in your work does that sound cool but I thought it'd be awesome to start with you saying 
a little bit talking a little bit about what this is like you know this 2024 is the year (laughs) through and starting (laughs) like this part of your yeah your business or your journey what is what's the program yeah so the family nutrition transformation program is what I have named it after a lot of back and forth with different ideas and I think that yeah the nutrition and the transformation and is what really stuck for me and because that's ultimately what I'm trying to do with families is to help them overhaul, transform, have a nutrition makeover, that sort of thing. So completely change what they're doing, but in not in a way that's too overwhelming, in a way that is practical and sustainable to allow them to eat better and help to achieve their nutrition goals, whatever they might be. So it came about from, I guess, over the last decade as a dietitian, there's a work, well, I guess working in that traditional model where it's like you have an initial consultation with someone and then you might see them two weeks later, you might see them four weeks later and they might show up, they might not show up. And there's only so much you can achieve in that 45 minutes or that 30 minutes. And so that's where I've always thought it needs to be something more. And so the program I've created is a 12-week program. So a much higher touch point. So regular check-ins, regular contact with me. I'm using this cool app called Voxer where the clients can just check in with me regularly and they might be like, ah, help me with my meal planning. Help me. What like what else can I add to my meal plan this week? And I can just send through suggestions. And so it's like, I guess, having a dietitian in your back pocket ready to be like, okay, do this, not that. And just to help with those decisions because you can't change habits in a one-off appointment. Whereas I think if you've got that consistent support, I guess it's, it's a nutrition coach, really. Um, if you've got that consistent support for that period of time. And I was, I was tossing up between six weeks and 12 weeks. And I think that for some people, six weeks might be the right amount of time, but definitely not less than six weeks because the habits need to change. And the people I'm targeting are families who are busy and they might not, like, they don't have the capacity to take on more than, like, one little change a week because parent, like, minds are just full <laughs> and, like the, like, the mental load. Like, the mental load, it resonates so much with me and the clients that I have worked with so far, the one thing that they have said is, like, oh, my gosh, I've planned my meals and it's, not, not like, no longer what do we need to get from the shop today? What do we need to duck out and get? Because it's done. Like, you do it once in the week and it's done. And so that just for... Uh, a parent, usually the mother, carries just so much in their head and to take one thing out is just, it just lightens that load. Yeah, the the mental labour and the mental load that um, both parents can go through or if it's single family, really? the primary caregiver or, um, but a lot of the time, yeah, a lot of I work with all women and a lot a lot of them are mums and they carry a massive amount of mental load and they do a lot of mental labor. And I think that's the way our brains are structured and wired as well. I remember like over a decade mm-hmm. ago, I read the book, um, The Female Brain. And it was just talking about how the brains are just different and they're wired differently. And so the the mental labor load tends to fall a lot on the on the female brain. And when I saw what you had created, I thought, oh, this is really cool. Like this is the the, the mental labor load that you can save <laughs> moms from, that you can save families from is 
like it's invaluable Prue. it's it's the yeah. it's the thing it's like the big thing and I'd love for you to talk about like what were you seeing like what's the story around this idea of like family meal times and thinking about preparing and organizing food and why do why do families and why do women um find it so stressful I think <sighs> Everyone has an opinion on nutrition, right, as you would know, and like rightly or wrongly, but everyone has an opinion. And some people place a much higher value on nutrition than others. And I think that at the end of the day with families and kids especially, like kids like to eat what they know. Like they like to keep it, they like to eat their safe foods. And whether that's a fussy eating or um, a child that's neurodiverse or anything like that, it, it doesn't really matter. Like it's kids just like what they know. and so the path of least resistance is to serve up the same thing on repeat, which is fine for a period of time, but then that ultimately reduces the exposure for the children. And so then they're then exposed to less food. So going to it's then going to be harder to try to try new foods because they're not used to it. And then obviously as well, the parents are just like, ugh this is boring. And so I've seen people stuck in this rut of like four or five meals in a week, like on repeat. And, and they just don't even know where, how to fix that and how to make it better and how to have more variety. Like they want the variety, but they just don't even know where to start. And so I guess with my um, well, love for food and cooking and recipe development, that's where I can be like, okay, well, you're having this spaghetti bolognese why don't you try like chili con carne? Like it's got, it's similar base ingredients with a few different bits and pieces, but different flavor. And, and then from there, it's like, oh, why don't you just add a salad with it or things like that, which can kind of just add variety without overcomplicating things. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's tricky. Feeding a family is, it's hard. It's really hard. And especially when you, you don't know what you, like it's not necessarily people don't know what they're doing, but they know, you only know what you know, right? Mm. Yeah, and I'd love, uh, I, I want to hear a couple of things from your perspective, uh, not from, I guess, the dietetic side, but mostly from being a mum and having a family and feeding kids. From my side, the way that I see, what, what I see happens is that, uh, one, it kind of comes from the, the parents' you know, kind of uh, educational knowledge or belief or story around food, around what, how were they raised around food? What do they believe? You know, do they have the actual skills, you know, the skills mm. to cook and prepare? Do they have the knowledge about, you know, nutrition? There's that side. And then I see like an energy piece. And so parents, you know, they're, they're tired. A lot of us are we're low on energy and we're tired. And so that kind of feeds into the lack of creativity, being able to think outside the box. It leads to the path of least resistance at family mealtimes because we don't have the energy. Yeah. We, we might be like managing or leading multiple little humans. We've also got a full-time job. We've got other stresses in our life that we're trying to manage. So then I see like an energy problem and then Absolutely. the third kind of piece I see is, uh, yeah, we're dealing with little humans that aren't 
adults and so <laughs> they they have you know certain like you were just saying Prue they like things that they like they don't so we need like this whole idea of the repeated exposure and then if they have you know some yeah some like uh, sensory stuff going on or whatever it just makes it more complex and so I don't know what you see as a dietitian and then as a mom from your side like are you seeing multiple things play into this around why family meal times and thinking about being creative and pre preparing and planning meals uh, is a hard thing yeah absolutely like with I think that probably more more so now than ever they're like back I guess back when I was a kid it wasn't uncommon for there to be one working parent and one stay-at-home parent whereas now there's but for the most part, both parents work. Both parents might, might not necessarily work full time, but both parents work in some capacity. And so that obviously takes, so then nutrition gets pushed to the wayside. And then you add that in and then you add in the stress of like the end of the day. So you might, you've here's a scenario. You've gone, like two parents have worked, you've gone, from work, you haven't got any idea what you're having for dinner. You might have thought about it all day but not actually figured anything out. Pick the kids up from school, after school care, daycare, whatever it is, and then it's like, oh, we don't know what we're having for dinner. Let's go to the supermarket. Kids are running around crazy. Or like you might have done the supermarket beforehand, then rushing to get there before, <laughs> before it closes and so stress levels are rising. Then you get home and it's 5.30, 6 o'clock and kids, you want the kids in bed by 7 and so you're then running around being like, okay, I need to cook dinner. What, what are we even having for dinner? Have I even figured this out properly? Do oh, I left something, I forgot something in the supermarket. And then we need to bath the kids and then we need to get them ready for bed and do readers, all the rest. And so the stress levels are just rising. The kids are hungry, the kids are tired, and so and then they feed off the stress of the parent, and it's just this vicious cycle. <laughs> I call it um, I often call it happy hour. But not like that <laughs> happy hour that we think that we we think like yeah like cheap yummy food and drinks like I call it happy hour but mostly happy hour from hell and then I also call it like feeding hour at the zoo like like yes, every, yes. animals are hungry everyone's hungry and it's like feeding hour but it's like it's just it's chaos like that time from like chaos. four till seven is not often a very pleasant time for a lot of families no no absolutely and then and then you try to put them to bed and they're wired because they've just eaten dinner and then they don't want to go to sleep and then you're getting angry because they're not going to sleep because you just want your downtime <laughs> just and on it goes <laughs> Crazy. Oh. but, but okay. yes but so, so that like so that's that I feel is the main problem that I'm trying to simplify and I see as a dietitian I see that there's so many things that, and, and a mum I see so many things that can be done there to reduce the stress of that time yeah let's talk about that 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> what you see uh, that can actually change the whole energy to feeding hour at the zoo or happy hour yeah. and make <laughs> feeding, you know, feeding the family uh, and feeding the children a much more pleasant, enjoyable, happy, calm experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess in that scenario that I spoke about before, so I guess some quick, like some obvious things that you can change there to make that easier would be knowing what you're having for dinner on that night that both parents are working late. If you can prepare, well, definitely have the ingredients in the house to cook that meal. If you can have that meal prepared, so then you can get home and you can go, okay, I'm putting the water on for pasta and the bolognese in the, in the pan to heat up. While while that's doing its thing, I'll quickly bath, help the, make sure the kids are having a bath or whatever. And so that in itself is takes takes away a lot of that stress. And the kids are probably feeling better because it's like, oh, mum or dad's here helping me be cleaned. And so they're, they're then getting that time from you, which they're probably craving after a day of not seeing you. And so, and then, and like, and it's, it, sometimes there's no answer to the later dinner. Like if you've got to work late, you've got to work late and there's just no way around that. But if you can take away that stress and also serve up a meal that you know the kids will eat, then that is really helpful. So over the last like number of years, I've always worked on a Wednesday till like 5.30. And so when the kids are at daycare and then when the kids are at school, and so I would, Aaron or I would pick them up pretty close to quarter to six or something like that. And so that that, that Wednesday night would always be, a bolognese, a chili con carne, a um, tacos, something like that where I've made the bulk of that in advance, possibly come out of the freezer that morning and it's literally maximum 15 minutes to get it on the table. And they're also meals that I know the kids will eat. And so on a night that things are going to be later than normal, then at least we're sitting down to a meal that I know that they will all happily eat and it's not even, you don't even then have that stress of, or have they had enough to eat? Why aren't you eating your dinner? Blah, 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 blah. So just like that's a really simple solution. And and but in order to do that, there's the, I guess that work behind the scenes to get to that point of having those meals sorted. Yeah, I'd like to just kind of go there, I think, because when you're speaking, I hear a couple of layers to it, which is why you know, working with someone and being led through it is so powerful and why this program will be so powerful because I see like kind of the first thing being, well, what the, what the frig do I even eat? You know, what do like, like maybe someone who doesn't have the knowledge there around nutrition or is really confused by, uh, you know, the culture and social media and everything that they're seeing and consuming. I feel like the first part is, well, what do we even have? Like, what do we even have for meals? Yeah. Like what do we have in the meal plan during the week? Uh, Mm. Is that kind of where, where the work starts is helping them understand nutrition and understanding how to even create maybe a well-balanced meal plan? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is definitely the key because you can, yeah, you can plan your meals, but I guess if you if your goal is to improve your nutrition and improve, improving what you're eating in order to get to certain nutrition-related goals, then, yeah, you need that understanding and education and knowledge about 
food, which so many people don't have. And like, it's not a criticism to the people that don't have that, but if you're not taught it, you're not taught it. And so, yeah, I guess that's where my expertise comes in to be like, well, okay, you've got chicken schnitzel and chips for dinner. That's fine. But where's the vegetables? Where's the salad? Like let's add a bit of color in there, a bit of fiber, a bit of vitamins and minerals to just make you feel better, boost your energy levels, get your body working a bit better uh, as a starting point. And then, so, so what I will do with clients is I get them when I'm getting them to meal plan initially, I will get them to plan that first week just so I can, or, or even send me through a list of meals that they happily eat just so I can see what, where, what, where the baseline is, what, where we're starting from. And from there, it's like, okay, well, I, I can see here that you guys like your chicken, schnitzel and chips. What can we do to make that a better meal and kind of building on those foundations that they already have. So it's not all of a sudden being like, okay, here's, here's seven different meals that you've never tried again. Serve them up to your family. See how that goes. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so from that, like and planning the meals, like planning the meals can be hard as well. I will sit down on a Thursday night and write down for the meals for the week. Some weeks it comes really easily to me. Other weeks I'm like, oh, man, what do I do? And what's been really helpful for me is sharing my meal plans on Instagram and saving them as a highlight reel. So then when I'm stuck, I will go back over my meal plans and be like, oh, yeah, we had that. The kids love that. Let's try that one again. And or flicking through recipe books throughout the week and if I see something, write it down. But Planning your meals, I know a lot of people, if they do plan their meals, will do it on a whiteboard and then wipe it off at the end of the week, which is fine, but then it's gone. Whereas if you can write it down on a piece of paper, you can refer back to it, which just helps for that inspiration. And and and, and get family members involved in that too because I, I will always try to, so if, if the kids had it their way, our dinners would be pizza, spaghetti bolognese, chili con carne, tacos, nachos, and maybe and chicken schnitzel. They're probably on repeat. <laughs> and so I each week we will have at least one of those, one, maybe two, just to keep them happy. And then the rest I will then I cook what I want with like within reason, but making sure that there are meals there that or something as part of that meal that I know that they will eat. And and then I get and I guess that's a really good way to then expose them to different foods and and they might eat it they might not but then that's I guess that's the stress of it all as well isn't it yeah okay so before we go into that the the first part is this balance between understanding nutrition and maybe finding a bit more balance within like the overall meals through the overall week and the way that you do that or even for someone listening is just to sit down and just think about what a week looks like and what is what is the variety there? Is there balance there or is it, yeah, maybe the same things uh, on repeat? And why is that? Where's your gap? Uh, you know, is it that you feel stuck because you feel like the kids won't eat it or you don't know what else to cook? And so that's kind of the first step. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And then the second step uh, from what I'm hearing is you sit down and then you actually 
plan out the meals. And I gotta, I'm going to put that on repeat for everyone listening. You sit down <laughs> and you put time and energy and thought into planning your meals for the week for your family, yes? Absolutely. It takes the time. And, and it's not a lot of time. It takes less time. If you can sit down for 20 minutes, and like when you get good at it, 20 minutes is going to be plenty. 20 minutes once a week to plan your meals, what that will save you in five 20-minute trips to the supermarket, you get it back in droves. <laughs> yeah, so the second step is sit down and plan your meals, like plan out or at least even part of the week or the, the busy yes. nights of the week or so there's some kind of plan or structure. So you're sitting there and you're looking at, okay, now from step one, I have more of a balance because I'm going to maybe try this and this this week, or I'm going to add this and this variety. Here's my, here is my meal plan. And then you include a couple of meals that are really safe for the kids that they really love and they really enjoy. And then there's other meals in the week where you'll cook maybe something different or you'll change, change it a little bit. Am I, is that yep. right? Yeah, correct. Yes. Okay, let's take another step further. So say that you've created a meal and it is newer. Uh, it's not one of the kids' safe foods. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, I guess there's even a step before that. Like you know your children, you know if they have obviously allergy stuff, uh, aversions to things, any kind of sensory work, and that work's kind of been done. But like yes. I want to talk to you about like fussy eating and I want to talk to you mm. about this idea of making multiple meals for every different person in the house at the table and the stress that that causes, the stress that it causes parents when the children get really fussy and don't want to eat it. Like, how do you manage that as a dietitian from like a, and, and as a mum? Yeah. And like, that's something that I, it's really tricky. I think because I am a dietitian, my dietitian hat says the adult provides, the child decides. The adult provides a range of nutritious foods. The child decides what they're going to eat. And don't say to the kid, just have one more mouthful, just finish what's on your plate because that's how we've all been brought up and it doesn't work. And, and I've seen it go so wrong in so many clients over the years. And so don't do that. So I've got one, like one hat which says, okay, don't do that. Don't just, just let them eat what's on their plate. Let them help themselves to whatever. And then my other hat is my mum hat, which is the parenting style, which is what I've been brought up with. It's like, oh, come on, just have one more mouthful. Just try it. Just give it a go. And my six-year-old is the worst. Like she will get up and she'll see what's dinner. And she's like, no, thank you. <laughs> come on, you haven't even tried it. Or, or she'll eat a little bit and then be like, is, I'm still hungry. Is there any dessert? No, there's no dessert. Oh, I'm full then. <laughs> so, and so dealing with that is just really tricky. And But as a dietitian, taking away the stress is the way to go. What I've found has been really helpful as a mum is rather than serving them up a plate of food, the only time I will serve them a plate of food is if we're having spaghetti bolognese because the spaghetti bolognese would not go far enough if I, if I didn't serve it up. And so I, I put everything in the middle of the table and they help themselves. So 
I think I started doing that when Claire was probably four. She's now eight. And, and so I started with just things like a salad and got encouraged them to help themselves to salad. And they'd eat more salad than they would if I was to put it on their plate. And cause then, and kids are really good at regulating their appetite too and figuring out how much they need to eat. And so if that, if there's food in the middle of the table and they have a little bit and they like it, they might want to have a little bit more or they might have a little bit and that then that's all that they need right now. And so as a parent, you've got to really trust that a kid is not going to starve themselves within reason for the most part. <laughs> and, but yeah, I, I get very conflicted with the dietitian and the parenting, parenting hat there. It can be really, really hard, but that's where the safe food comes in. Like if you are serving up a new meal or you've got a fussy eater, make sure there is at least one or two foods, or if it's a salad mate, and you know that Timmy likes tomatoes and carrots, make sure there's tomatoes and carrots in that salad. And you might put the salad on the table and say, okay, have some salad, but choose three different ingredients. And so Timmy will then choose carrot and tomato. And, and then it might be really tricky to then choose a third ingredient. But if that's kind of the bound, if that's kind of what you're going with over time, he might choose a third ingredient. And rather than saying, did you like it? It's important to more to, like take the approach of, was it crunchy? Was it hot? Was it cold? Like, was it soft? Like talking more about the texture and the flavor as opposed to like or dislike. Okay. I feel like we, I feel like we want to recap some of these. Um, uh, I don't really want to call them do's and don'ts, but like yeah. things that you've learned as things that you learn, like we learn in our practice and things you've learned over the last 10 years, really working with families, working with children, fussy eating. There's such an abundance of research out now and specialists in, you know, helping children build relationship with food and helping nourish children. But I want to speak a couple to a couple of those things that you said around that the family dinner time and so the first one was if it's a new meal you'll always make sure that there's a safe food that's available yes. or yeah so I do remember that you know especially when they're young and maybe you're you're there a toddler and you're giving them the plate that we were always taught that on the plate there needs to be a familiar food or a safe food if you're going to introduce a new food so they have the option. So what I'm hearing is that you do that at the dinner table. So about four or so years ago, you decided to serve up everything separately on the on the dinner table and they have their plate and then they can go and get what they want off their plate. And if it's a new meal, you've got some safe foods on that table. Yes, yes. So I guess the example might be something like if we're having satay chicken, I might have, I'd do the chicken and then have the satay sauce separately, have the rice, and then whether it's a salad or whatever veggies I have with it, have them, them separately. And I try to encourage the kids to try a little bit of everything, but depending on the day, try not to push it too much. And um, yeah, then they can then help themselves to a little bit of everything. Yeah, is the out of interest? Uh, is the does the fussiness? 
is it cre- it's probably created through multiple different layers. So one, it could be like a sensory thing that a lot of kids yeah. can have. Two, it's like the exposure, the repeated exposure. Are you seeing that because the kids aren't exposed to it or we have this idea of kid food and like adult yeah. food? And so we've made different food for our kids for a long time and they got really used to having that very kind of simple, plain kid food and then we're trying to maybe introduce them or they're getting a bit older and we're trying to be like, okay, I don't want to cook all of these different meals. So I want you to eat this meal that I'm cooking, but they haven't had the exposure to it at a young age. Is that why, where is the fussiness coming from? Because I know uh, some people that, yes, they do, you know, work in the food space and, and they have a really solid grasp on nutrition, but they expose their kids right from the start to absolutely mm. everything and they are not fussy eaters at all yeah sure maybe like you know like you said kids have certain things where they're like they're into that and then they're not into that and they're very intuitive but they're very open and they eat exactly yes. what the the parents are eating and so what are you seeing what's creating the fussiness so i think that I, i've seen a lot of clients and friends and stuff that have done everything right and, but then the kids are still quite fussy. So that's really tricky. Like I think there's definitely some anomalies. But what commonly happens is so when children are introduced to foods when they're six months, whatever the four to six months, whatever the age is at the moment, then they move on to salt, move past like the, the different textured stages to solid foods. And nor, in most cases, most families or a lot of families will they the goal is to try and get the kid eating what the family's eating as soon as possible just to simplify because that first six months of feeding a child solid foods is it's tricky because you've got to do those two separate things because it's different textures and it's like and and I and maybe maybe some families don't progress don't bring the two together there they maybe they do stick with the kid food and the adult food but we found that when we got the kids eating the foods that we were eating probably up until I think two to three is the common age where the fussiness really kicks in. Most most little kids are pretty good until two and and then they kind of go over this hurdle and and, and then it's, it's, the, it's the age. They're pushing boundaries. They want to kind of dig their heels in and food is a way that they can kind of do that. And And so I think that's where the restriction then comes in because it's like, oh, well, Timmy doesn't like carrots. I'm not going to serve him carrots. And so then if you're not serving kid food, they're never going to try it. Whereas if if the food is, and this is where the exposure is so important. If the food is offered, they might eat it. If it's not, they're not going to eat it. And so yeah. getting that, like con- continuing to offer foods or just keep them exposed to foods is really, really important. So it might be like you, the say a three-year-old has become really fussy. It might be, They've decided they don't like tomatoes. So every meal, it might just be putting a cherry tomato on that plate and that cherry tomato might go back into the fridge or it might go into the bin every day for months. Yeah, or on the floor, yep, for months. But then eventually they might try it again or they might try it when they're out or they might try it when they're at someone else's house because they've seen that cherry tomato. Whereas if they hadn't seen that cherry tomato for months, they wouldn't know what it is. And so continuing to expose children to that 
to different foods is so important. What's the current research? I remember when we were in dietetics, it was around 15 to 20 times. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like 13. I think it's like the magic number. Mm, yeah. 13 Which times. Is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's yeah. a lot as a stressed, busy, tired parent to put that cherry tomato on that plate. <laughs> and for it to go on the floor 13 <laughs> times. Yeah. yeah. And then for you to step on it with your socks on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So their repeated exposure I'm hearing is really important. So even if they haven't eaten the food, if they've chucked it on the floor, it's just repeatedly exposing them to the foods. Eventually, maybe they might try it again or they're familiar with it because it's the kids don't like things that they're not familiar with, like you said at the start of the conversation. Then I'd love just to talk about some things that we that you were talking about how you really struggle sometimes between the dietitian and the mum side and like really maybe holding back on some of the things that aren't very helpful to say at the dinner table to the little humans when they're trying to eat. What are some of those things that in your work that you've seen that are quite unhelpful at the dinner table, but because we're tired and we're reactive and we really just want to feed the kids that we might end up saying? So it's all those things around, it's those, I guess, the things that almost start, that create the tension, start the fight, not the fight, but the argument. And where, where the kid might be, I don't want any more. Come on, just have one more mouthful. I don't want any more. And just back and forth, back and forth. And the tension rises and then someone cracks it. And, and, and that just then creates a negative relationship with food. And a negative, yeah, just a negative outlook on that particular meal. Whereas, yeah, and, and whereas if you've got, so, and that's where the safe food comes in. Like if you've got the safe food there, they might have had a little bit of whatever this new food is, or maybe like one taste, and they're like, I don't like it. But then at least they've had the safe food. So as a parent, that's where it's like, okay, well, they've eaten something. They're not going to starve. And at the end of the day, they're not going to starve. Yeah, don't they often say that what you need, to, what we need to look at is what they're eating over the entire week, not just yes. like the day or within the meal? Yeah, and I, and I've seen with clients where, like, where parents have both got different approaches to food as well, and so that might be the environment. I might be like, oh well, let's eat dinner at the couch or let's eat dinner at the table, and so that for the kid is like, well, where do we eat dinner? And so that's inconsistent. Kids like consistency as well. And so if you've got, I guess, that differing opinion or differing upbringing of how food should be served and eaten as a family, that makes it really tricky too. But that's not a conversation that anyone has before they have kids. Like, okay, so how are we going to eat our dinners? (laughs) It's not a conversation that's had. (laughs) Should be, though. Should be a conversation that everyone has. Yeah, should be. And so then that along with it might be the one of the parents has this view of, well, when I was a kid, I had to eat everything that was on my plate before I had before I could leave the table. So that's what we're doing. Whereas the other parent might be like, well, well, no, that like they've had enough. And so that's again inconsistency. And so that I've seen that in clients over the years where that can then create the tension between the parents, which the kids then feed off and 
and and so then and so I've seen one particular family from a few years ago that I was thinking of they then went and implemented I guess just went with a stress-free approach I'm like just don't even talk about food just put the offer it and have the safe food and they came back four weeks, two months later and had a really big improvement in what the child was eating because they'd removed that stress and tension around dinner time, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. But that's mm-hmm. like, like you said, Prue, we we don't think about, we don't think about having these conversations beforehand and, and then maybe no. if we don't do that, that's fine. And then we're, we're starting to, you know, have and raise little humans. It's, it's why these conversations, this conversation we're having now is really important. It's why the work that you do is really important. Parents need to sit down together and they need a strategy. They need a plan. They need an approach that's consistent and that they agree upon and then they can carry through and support each other in. They can't be like resisting against each other because like you said, that friction and the inconsistency that gets created there Um is really confusing for the for the kids but also it gives them a little bit more like <laughs> a bit more power to push back Absolutely. on uh, yeah. <laughs> I can play mum and dad off against each other <laughs> yeah. yeah uh then and so then you you mentioned a couple of other things so like just things around like finish it all you can't do this just like have another bite you know you won't be able to have your dessert unless that was that's a famous one isn't it yeah like oh yeah yeah finish what's on your plate then you can have your dessert (laughs) and so if what i what i will do so if 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 a kid is little so if it's a like toddler age and you're serving the food up on a plate and so say you've got a piece of cake or something for dessert you could put all of it on the plate at once. So put the cake on there with the chicken and the veggies and the potato or whatever and just watch. I've done that a few times. It doesn't work so much now, but when the kids were younger, I'd be like, let's put a little bowl of ice cream there next to their dinner. And it was so interesting to watch. Like sometimes one of them might eat all their dessert and then eat their main meal or vice versa or kind of go between the two. And just such an interesting experiment just to watch what they did but but when they and also when they got up at the table their faces are like what's going what's going on <laughs> what is this and so it's yeah it's really interesting because because obviously another big thing is not making a like dessert shouldn't be a reward like it's not it's not a food that should be a reward for finishing your, your dinner and so that's where like that's something else that is obviously really tricky to navigate too. Like I will, if we're going to have dessert, I will strategically do it on a night where it's a meal I know that they will eat so we don't even have to have that conversation. So I'm like, okay, great, you finished. Like, good. You're still hungry? Great. Excellent. Let's eat some more. Let's have some dessert. Yeah, you clean that one up. You clean that spaghetti exactly. bolognese up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that though. I like the idea of it being when they're younger it being exposed and part of the meal part of the the whole experience uh how do you navigate that with the kids being a little bit older and maybe it is for I know for a lot of families and for us growing up like having ice cream after dinner was a 
kind of a practice. It was just what, yeah. you know, my dad did every night. And so what we did and my parents, of course, said, no, you got to finish what's on your plate. you got to eat this before all of the kind of old school, you know, table talk around yep. <laughs> around food. <laughs> what do you do? How do you how do you help families navigate that? And then how do you navigate that as a mom when maybe the kids don't want to eat that, but they want their ice cream or they want their dessert? Yeah, it's a really tricky one. So as a mum, like we wouldn't necessarily have dessert every night. I, if they're still hungry, they can have some yogurt usually. And sometimes I'll, I will have, I'll make a dessert, but I try not to, that, and I guess that's where I put my dietitian hat and be like, okay, we're having a dessert and not necessarily let them know when we're eating the meal that there's dessert and then just kind of see how they go yeah, like that's something I really, really struggle with. If Elise, for example, has got up and said, no, thank you, and she's had nothing, I don't feel right then being like, oh, well, I have some whatever that is on off of a dessert. And so it can be really, really tricky to navigate that one. And I guess with, I, I guess if it's something like, like ice cream is on offer every night, then I feel like it kind of goes one of two ways, really. Like, you can, the kids might be like oh well I know I'm having ice cream after this so it doesn't matter if I don't eat it or it can be they can then use it as a bit of a manipulation tool and so it just it's tricky it's really really tricky but I would I guess I would encourage the encourage families to kind of if to, to move away from that dessert as a reward and if you're not having dessert every night offering dessert on a night when you're pretty confident that the meal is going to be eaten better than other meals. So it might be a night that it's not a new food. It's you've had the safe meal and then dessert after that. Yeah. I can see how if like it was never brought brought up as in like, okay, you eat that, then you get ice cream. Like if, if that story was the narrative wasn't really formed around the dinner table or the meal time or the practice or the habit of having the ice cream every night. Not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Like I no, love ice cream. Good. I'll have it most nights. Yeah. But I'm yeah. just I'm just trying to think about okay the link that's being formed in the child's mind of like okay I know that we can have ice cream every night because that's kind of what happens and so then therefore like you said that's what could happen that they know that they're going to mm -hmm. get it so if there's never kind of a, a maybe a habit that's been formed like that or I think mostly it's probably the the language around like finish it and then you can have your ice cream yes. that narrative that creates the the problem it's not the fact that we're going to have ice cream after it's that you can't have it unless you finish is probably yes the, the bigger problem and I guess it could even come back to the all the food in the middle of the table you might have your satay chicken your rice your salad and your apple crumble all in the middle of the table at the start of the meal see what happens okay well I'd love just to talk about we've talked about a lot of, do you see anything else come up around meal times that you've seen in your work that you've struggled with uh, being a mom and feeding the family they're probably the trickiest things around I guess specifically dinner time obviously breakfasts and school lunches can be a completely different kettle of fish but yeah, that like that's a lot 
as well. Like school lunches can be something where uh, I guess once again, like it's a lot of kids will not eat during the school day and then come home and expect afternoon tea. In that situation, I would I encourage families to say, well, let's eat what's in your lunchbox first because usually that's the more nutritious, it's a meal, as opposed to going straight into afternoon tea. So finish off, let's finish your lunchbox first and then see if you're still hungry. And if you're still hungry, you can have some afternoon tea. And as opposed to finish lunchbox first before you get afternoon tea. Kind of, I think putting that, if you're still hungry, we can have something else. It's also that not that long till dinner and kind of that, using that sort of language is important rather than that. Finish this first before you have afternoon tea. And, yeah, I would and say the same thing. things come. I would say and, the same things that come up um, at breakfast time as well as school lunches. Like it's the same thing around you know, trying to feed them at breakfast can probably sometimes feel as stressful as feeding them at dinner time. Yes, yeah. And especially if parents are rushing out the door to get wherever, that can be really tricky as well. Yeah. Do do we want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about how you would approach like, because I think a child, we all need to be nourished at breakfast time. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, a fed child um, is because... If, especially if you haven't had a, bit, a good dinner, you then sleep for however long and then like most kids have to be hungry in the morning. I know there's people that people that don't eat breakfast, but I don't know how people don't eat breakfast because I'm hungry if I don't I'm angry if I don't have breakfast. And, <laughs> and so yeah, I think it's a matter of once again having on offer nourishing options. And my kids have been notorious for, They'll have something, have it for however long, love it, and then all of a sudden, nah, hate it. And at the moment, we've touched wood. We've had a pretty good run with smoothies for breakfast. But there's those smoothies. There's fruit. There's milk. There's yogurt. There's LSA. There's oats. There's silver beet from the garden. It's packed full of – it's pretty much a bowl of cereal, a bowl of muesli. But they love it. And at least I like in their mind, they're just having a drink. But in my mind, I know they're going to school. They've got carbs. They've got protein. They've got healthy fats. They've got fiber. They're set. So it's going to keep them going for and, until that morning tea snack. And I think that it's a matter of figuring out what is going to be something for your, something that your child likes. And, and I, I think also having those boundaries in place too, like, my kids know that in, in the last 12 months, I've been all about at breakfast, you must have some protein. These are the foods that have protein in them. I don't care what it is you have, choose one. If you're having an English muffin with jam, you need something else that is a protein food to go alongside that. And so, and they've been like, they're pretty good at going along with that. Some days there is a bit of a battle, but then I guess that's where they're like, okay, well, then smoothie, the smoothie works. Smoothie's easy. Mum makes it for me. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> and so it's having those options available and, and yeah, and having those boundaries in place to make sure that they are well-nourished to start that day because they're going to concentrate better. They're going to have a better day. I'm, I'm super curious to know, Prue, 
how, and you can answer this question from both a dietitian and a mum, but what I what I see a lot is this, like we're low on energy, we're stressed, we're squished for time, and we just want to like rush this process. We want to like rush to get like the breakfast in them. We want to rush to like, like you, the um, example you gave at the start of the conversation, the dinner thing. Mm. And it's, you know, it's our responsibility as the parent or the caregiver that we, you actually, we need, they need time. Sometimes they just need time uh, to make the decision or to process it or for, and I feel like we're just, we're like, we're putting pressure on them and we're trying to get them to fit into our like busy, important, stressful lives. And kids just don't do well when that happens. And so that's that's what I'm seeing is that a lot of us haven't actually thought about, okay, this is, it's going to take a lot of time and energy and effort. If I want to actually really nourish my child's relationship with foods, if I want to make sure that I can try and keep them fully nourished. And I know there's some parents that do all of this, like you said, do everything right. And still it's difficult. But a lot of us, I think we're just trying to make them fit into our life and we're not actually slowing down and spending the time. Um, what what are your thoughts on that as a dietitian and as a mum out of interest? Yeah, absolutely. It's so it's so true what you said there. Like we we're busy. Everyone is busy. And so trying to kind of squish all this in is really hard. Like and I guess if you go back to the the way the Mediterranean countries do it, and food is just it's so central to everything, and they sit down and they eat and they feast and it's amazing, but I find that, yeah, life is so rushed, but it shouldn't be. Like, and like it's, it's, it is hard to work around that because that's just how it is, but it does take time and kids are not going to change overnight. You can't just expect to completely transform what they're eating in a week. It takes time. It takes consistency. And if you can lay, lay those foundations well, it sets you up for a longer period of time and sets, sets them up for life too. And it is our role as a parent to yeah, nurture those relationships with food, have them come out the other end, not being screwed up because of how we've spoken about food or how we've, how we, yeah, eat food. And because I've seen it go wrong so many times. There's so many that parents will not not intentionally but put their own insecurities with food onto their children and it's not it is not intentional but it happens and it has a long lasting impact and it yeah it's really difficult to then reverse for a lot of people but if we can kind of have that positive approach to food no good foods no bad foods that's like that's my mantra like all foods have a have a place as part of a well balanced diet. Like some are just designed to be eaten more regularly than others. Some some foods are full of nourishment and nutrients. Others are not, and and they shouldn't be labelled as good or bad because they all have a place. Um, and the number of people that I've seen, like adults, where can't have chocolate in the house because I have to eat it all. It's like that. That's not a way to live. 
Like you should be, you can eat chocolate every day and it's okay. Like eat it every day. Just like, and, and that's the best first starting point is to, if you've got that good, bad approach to food, start by having those foods that you consider bad in the house all the time and allow yourself to eat them because there's nothing wrong with that. And demonstrating that to the kids is really important as well. Uh, but yeah, the time, the time factor is really important in being able to nurture those positive relationships with food. And I see it on the school holidays when the kids are like morning, tea, afternoon, they'll just grab food and they'll just eat. And, and I'm trying to encourage them sit at the table. Like the other day, Mark was eating his lunch, reading a book, which I love that he loves reading so much. But I'm like, mate, put your book down and focus on eating. You're being distracted. You're just putting food in your mouth. Like I know you love reading, but you're not thinking about what you're doing. And in an hour's time, you're going to come to me and say that you're hungry because your brain doesn't remember that you've eaten this big plate of food because you're too busy thinking about the story you're reading. And so that distraction when eating is, yeah, like it it can it re, it really limits that gut brain connection or like the recognition and the mindfulness and awareness around what you're doing. And so removing those distractions from a young age is really important. And like, and I'm sure there's lots of families out there that eat their dinner on the couch in front of television. And that's a simple thing that you can just bring that dinner back to the table, have a conversation in, within the family and talk about the food you're eating, talk about the day, talk about whatever, but don't be distracted by the television or whatever other distraction, maybe devices, whatever, books. <laughs> so, yeah. What have you what have you had to say no to to say yes to like nurturing your children's relationship with food and spending time planning and preparing their meals, spending time, extra time maybe at the dinner table, navigating that? Like what, you know, I always say to my women, like what do we have to say no to to say yes to this thing? And what what through our conversation. I feel like we've got to say no to some things to say yes to choosing to have more stress-free meals. And so for you, Prue, what have yeah, what have you had to say no to to say yes to to really trying to create stress-free family meal times? And then what we'll do from here, we'll go into a bit of the framework that's in your program as a dietitian that really kind of I guess can help solve and help families do that. Yeah. So I guess it's possibly even a, a yes to say yes. So, but so what I've found, so our, I will try and have the kids bathed before dinner or showered before dinner, usually. So, like, they're at an age now where they can do that themselves. And once they've done that, then I'm happy for them to watch television. And it might be just for 20 minutes where I then can go into the kitchen and prepare the meal. And because otherwise they're at me asking all these questions. So I guess I'm saying no to me allowing them to watch television for me to be able to have that space to be like, okay, let's get this dinner on the table and because I know that that's them occupied. And so, and that works well, that works for us. Um, but I think it's also saying no to things, saying no to the easy option. 
like saying no to the easy option, which might be the takeaway. It might be the, oh, like I've planned the meals, but this isn't going to work tonight. Um, I'll just get takeaway. And if you've planned your meals and shopped accordingly, you've got the food in the house, that is then making it easier to say no to takeaway because you can then be like, well, I've got this food. I've paid for it. I don't want to waste it. Okay, maybe whatever's not going to work for tonight, let's switch it for something that we've got for tomorrow night that's in the house because that's a 10-minute meal. The one we had planned for tonight is a 30-minute meal. Let's just make that switch and keep it flexible to what suits our days, Yeah, what what crops up during the week. Mm. Yeah. So the first one for you was I'll, I'll like, doing something that maybe you had resistance to before, which really makes the whole family meal time a bit less stressful because they're, they're bathed, they're showered, they're clean, they're sitting and they're watching something for a short period of time. So you can actually get everything ready and then sit down together. Uh, And then the second one was um, the, what what did you just say with the the second one was around like saying no to the takeaway or saying no to that quick yeah. easy option yeah yeah and i yeah. guess also for me cuz i love cooking i love the food and i quite enjoy going to the supermarket to be honest but for me i guess i've said no to that me time to prioritize the food and nutrition in the family because for me that is it's a big priority and it's really important for me to and and, I, and it helps that I enjoy the cooking and I enjoy the planning of the meals and I enjoy going to the supermarket I know a lot of people hate those things and that's fine uh but yeah I guess that's probably the I've, I've that's a big focus of my week yeah that's kind of what I was after a little bit yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, we have to say no to some things in order to say yes to these things. And the yes often means that, you know, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be the harder, the harder way initially. But by saying no to sitting there and scrolling on your phone, by saying no to maybe being able to just sit and watch something, you know, or saying no to maybe going and doing something on a particular day on the weekend for a little while, is you have is what you need to say yes to actually you know or saying no to spending money on something so you can say yes to spending money on something like Proust program that can help yeah. you like it's just things like this that we need to start thinking about like this is really important like this is one of the most important jobs you will ever have as a parent is nourishing and uh, developing your child's relationship with food. So if that is not your number one priority, <laughs> that is a problem. Uh, and I guess we really worked up. I guess because I came I from a family where this was not, we were, did not have a great relationship with food. We were not raised in an environment that, you know, my sister had anorexia because of, yeah. you know, how we were raised. And so I just... 
I know it sounds simple and it's not easy, you know, and I know that I don't have children, but my I have six nieces and nephews. I've been around children my entire life. A lot of my friends have children. I know it is very hard and I know a lot of us are low on energy and we're low on time, but we have to say no to some things, no to spending money on certain things or alcohol so you can spend it on like Proof's program and getting help with this stuff. We don't expect you to know this, but say no. yes to getting support, yeah? Say no to like certain things so you have the time and the energy and space to like create the plan to actually cook the meals. The thing that blows my mind for so many uh, is that like so many of us just, why can't we make the time to get in the kitchen and prep food? Like, where yeah. is that? Like, we, we, like, I've got women I work with, they've got five kids, you know, four kids, they work full time, they've got all of, but they'd still get in the kitchen because they know that it's going to save their life during the week. Like, if you're trying to feed a family of five or a family of six or a seven or eight, to already have half of that done or planned or prepared and in the freezer or in the fridge. Like I don't have any kids and I do that for Carson and I. Like yeah. I cook three dishes on a Sunday so we know that we have food until like Wednesday or Thursday because I don't want to do it through the week. I don't have the time or sometimes I don't have the energy. Uh, and so why do you feel like that's such a hard thing for, for people to do is like spend that three hours prepping some of their food? I don't know. Like people have spoken to... Oh, they're, they're like, oh, but weekends, family time. But weekends are the time where I do this. So weekends are the time I would do that. And it's like, well, that's fine, but nothing's going to change if nothing changes. And at the end of the day, it's not, like you don't have to spend your whole Sunday prepping. Like there's so many systems these days that simplify things. You can do a click and collect order. You can spend that time on the computer, on your phone, doing your order. And if you know that your order is similar, rinse and repeat for the following week, change up a few bits and pieces. You can go and you can have it delivered. You can go and collect it. So that's a time saver. But then I will often, if I've got the oven on, and I know that at some point in the week we're going to have some roast pumpkin or roast sweet potato, and the oven's on, I spend three minutes chopping that bit of olive oil, bit of salt and pepper, bit of cumin, bit of paprika in the oven. That can cook while I'm doing whatever else. And that is then something that I can add to a salad or can add to whatever. And it might it's even things like when you are coming home and unpacking your groceries, chop your pumpkin. If you're having a stir fry, chop your carrot sticks because you know you're going to use that for a stir fry. Do what you can before you then put them away. Because even though, yes, it's adding a little bit more time then, the food is out and it just, it doesn't take that much extra. And batch cooking is another big one. Like cook once, eat twice, eat three times. Like it doesn't take that much longer. <laughs> it really doesn't. And so I don't know why people are so resistant to putting that time aside. Like Because for me, it's so, it's so important. And so to actually kind of get inside their minds, be like, why, why can't you do this? Um, is really, yeah, it's it's interesting. And and I guess that's why I'm doing what I'm doing to try and help people to make it work best for them and where it's going to fit best into their week. So some, one of the clients I'm working with at the moment, she has one child and so she finds it easier to 
just kind of prep for so a Monday night after dinner her child's a teenager so she finds it easier to then prep for dinner for Tuesday on a Monday night because she works during the week and so that's great and for other people that might not work for other people they need that time in the week on in the evening to wind down or do whatever and so the weekend works better and so that's where you've got to make it work for you Um, and same with the meal planning it's got to work for you and you've got to start small and build up you might find that planning seven days just doesn't work and for most people it doesn't work and I used to plan my meals on a Monday and do my shop on a Monday and that didn't work it didn't work for me I changed changed my shopping day to a Friday because on a Friday I know what we're doing for the weekend on a Monday I didn't necessarily know what we're doing for the weekend so it just meant and and because Monday to Thursday are pretty stock standard and so I could just it just meant that I there was less wastage and I just had more of an idea going into it so simple things like that like if you can't plan if you feel that seven days of planning your planning your meals is too much start with two and do it on a day when you do it on the days that you know like it might be Tuesday Wednesday nights you know that the family's home late from work kids have or they've got extracurricular activities after school and you get home at 6 30 plan those two meals and see how much that simplifies things and then from there come and talk to me (laughs) I'd love to hear about I'd love to hear about your program I'd love to hear because I from our conversation I'm assuming that will they get you as a coach essentially which kind of fills in the stuff we spoke about at the start which is the the gap in knowledge sometimes around nutrition around a balanced meal around the macronutrients it fills in the side of like um navigating fussy eating or sensory stuff or because you've and then obviously it's the you've got frameworks and systems and strategies for families to implement to make this more stress-free and easy. Yeah. So in the 12 week program, obviously it is tailored to each family. So it is a little bit different for each family, depending on the needs. Like, so I might, it might be a family that just wants help to improve their nutrition with no allergies, no intolerances, no fussy eatings at play. And then that is, literally having me as that coach for the 12 weeks to help with the meal planning, help to set up the systems, help to make sure the family eating environment, so like the kitchen, making sure they're eating at the table, make sure those environments are set up. I can look at their pantries and be like, well, why have you got the chocolate front and centre for the kid? Like, Let's, let's kind of put the nourishing foods, the foods that are full of nutrients front and centre so that if people are coming to the pantry or the fridge, they can go for those things that they see first. And so setting that environment up is really, really important because if the environment's not there, then it's not going to work. And then from there, helping to helping with the meal planning and the shopping list and the execution of the meal plan because that's really important too because it's one thing to plan the meals. It's one thing to go... To write your shopping list it's one thing to go to the soup to get all the ingredients and then it's another thing to then execute the meal plan and so i guess that's where i'm there as that ongoing support that coach to kind of be like okay well week one what happened what worked what didn't work why didn't that work what can we try differently to make it work next week and then on top of all of that i can i then help to provide recipe ideas and I, I can do the meal planning if 
that's what the client wants. So, and, and so some clients will happily plan their meals themselves and send them through to me. Others want that kind of help from me and others just want me to plan them for them. So it's dependent on the situation. And then I guess if there's fussy eating at play as well, I can help to support through that. And so I guess as we discussed before, like if you've got this environment where there's fussy eating at play and there's clashing or there's tension, there's all that sort of stuff going on, to have someone to then, I guess, help to kind of cheerlead you along the way to be like, it's okay, you can keep like you can keep going. And so that's where that Voxer app, like that chat is so handy to I can then like they the client can then debrief to me and I can just come back to me, okay this is the plan for the next meal as opposed to like the traditional model of dietetics where that would happen and then you wouldn't have another appointment for four weeks. And so it just helps to get the higher touch points for the better, the higher level of results. Um, And so I've got one client at the moment who is the FODMAP. So um, I'm working them, through, walking them through the the low FODMAP protocol as well as part of the 12 weeks. So like any of those sorts of things that come into play, I can help with those sorts of things too. Um, what we touched on before about making multiple meals for multiple family members, my goal is to simplify that down to one meal. Um, so one meal that can be tailored to be celiac friendly, FOD, low FODMAP that they can make one meal to suit all the needs of the family members. And like there, there might be a few little tweaks within that meal, but you're not cooking four meals per night because um, that is not sustainable at all. And so, yeah, so I guess all those things with that ongoing support to essentially transform the nutrition of the family, increase the dietary variety, and the education along the way to be like, okay, well, I guess my chicken, sizzle and chips example before, it's like add some veggies to that. And and it's not only dinners either. It's the whole, it's breakfast, it's lunch, it's, it's snacks, whatever is needed. That's where I'm here to kind of really help the families to have those nourishing options available to feed the families they best, the best they can. Um, and... I guess my experience with dietitian with my passion for food and cooking and recipe development, that's where like, I might be like, okay, well, I want a meal that's got salmon and this and that in it, but I can't find anything. I'll go and either find it or I'll create it for you. And so, yeah, I guess that's, I, I, you know, how there's the professional food, professional home organizers that come into your home. So I liken my program to that, but for food and nutrition. Um, and I guess that's kind of my focus, like just helping. Yeah. So yeah, come in and transform food and nutrition, just like the home organizers come in and transform your storage. Yeah. But it's over, and- it's over a longer period of time because with storage, yeah, you can come in and do that all in a day or two, but this is behavior change that we're talking about and forming those new habits that are going to stick for the long term. Everyone listening, Prue, wants you in their house. They want you to, what's her name? Mar- Mar- Marie Kondo or whatever. <laughs> their yep. meal times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what I love? I absolutely love it. When I first saw it pop up on your on your gram and I was and I'm like, I gotta get Prue on because 
you're playing the new game. Like I'm really into this idea of playing the new game when it comes to women's health and fitness. And you're playing a new game when it comes to like dietetics because the old game yeah. doesn't work. Yeah, it just doesn't, no. the old model, the old structure, it just, it's, it doesn't work. It's not enough support. There's not enough coaching. There's not enough leadership. Uh, there's not enough accountability. There's not enough connection. And you have just, you've pivoted and you want to play a new game when it comes to dietetics, which is this, which is, yeah. you know, creating longer term programs, uh, you know, like being basically in the family's home without, you know, you being physically there, but you're there with them. And I just, I love that. And I think it's going to be such a powerful program that's going to help so many families because the old way, the old game doesn't work. Uh, and no. I just want to congratulate you for, yeah, creating this and playing the new game. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I guess on that, what I've seen with, fussy eating probably in particular is I had a client say to me, oh, we've come, we've, we've seen a dietitian before, but the focus, and, I, and I've, I've been there as that dietitian before where a parent has come in with a child who has, it's a fussy eater and I focus on the child, which is fine. But then four weeks later, yeah, you've got some strategies and some things have worked, but not, not much. But if you can take that top down approach the whole family approach. So you're changing and it's, it takes the pressure off the kid. It's not about the child. It's about the whole family. And so it's transforming the way that the family eats and approaches nutrition to meet the goal of whichever family member it is. Yeah, it's not isolating because often in the dietetics mm. world, it's a, it's very isolating thing. The person's coming yep. in because they have this problem or this allergy or they're fussy or, but like you said, it's not, it's the whole thing. It's the whole environment. It's everyone involved in the situation. And yeah, we, we can't do that with one session every two or four weeks. We need, no. um, we need a more aggressive approach in the nicest nurturing way, yeah, not in an aggressive way, absolutely. but we do. Yeah, we need a more proactive, aggressive approach. Uh, yeah. And where do people find out about more about you, more about the program? So I have a website which is still very much based around my cookbook and recipes, but that's in the process of me adding a bit more to that. But that's uh, www.whatsprewcooking.com.au. My Instagram handle is whatsprewcooking and Facebook as well. Um, you can also find me on there. And so the bulk of the information about my program is on Instagram, but reach out to me via DM, via the contact on my website and we can chat more. And yeah, I would love to have you on board. Yeah, she also has a cookbook for those super <laughs> interested and those always, people always want recipe inspiration. And so yeah. if I know of someone like there's you, there's Alice Zaslavsky that is a good yes. friend of mine. Uh, and so I always say, okay, go, go get Prue's cookbook, go get Alice's like praise of veg cookbook because that is just not something that I like to do. Like I'm not a recipe yes. giver or a meal planner at all. I don't do that in my work. Uh, but I always find women that do that well and 
Like that's what we need to do. Like, you know, we need to, you, we need to, as people that are creating family meal plans, you've got to put the time and effort in, in finding people that do amazing recipe development or have really good uh, content on Instagram or really good recipe books and sit down and then, you know, find inspiration out of that. So if you want inspiration, go and buy uh, Prue's cookbook because she's, <laughs> She's a dietitian. She's a mum who feeds three humans uh, and she loves developing recipes. So uh, <laughs> it's probably a gold mine. And that was really the start of this whole journey, really. It was I decided in 2017, I'm like, I want to write a cookbook. And I sat down to start writing it. And I'm like, wait a minute, who's going to buy this cookbook? And so that's when I started my Instagram page and my website. And it's just all evolved from there. Yeah. Yeah. Also follow her on social media because she's always showing you what she's cooking. There's so much content on there about recipes, about cooking, about tips. Uh, and so, yeah, if you are feeling lost in the world of meal planning and feeding your family, you've got to go follow Prue, buy her cookbook, and then check out all the information on her course. She'll change your damn life. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> Pro, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on thank you so much for having me it's been a really great conversation thank you so much warrior woman thanks so much for listening to this episode if you haven't please give the podcast some love by subscribing now and if you enjoyed this episode please rate it and share it with another warrior woman also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.